And what we will have is a situation where pregnancy becomes catastrophically dangerous for those folks. Ann Warner is the CEO of the Women's Rights and Empowerment Network, and she's my guest today. Welcome to Now Charleston. I'm Sam Spence. It's Monday, May 9th. Now Charleston takes a look at a handful of issues three times a week and tells you why they're important. I've got a few quick headlines for you today before we get into my interview with Ann Warner. The debate over development near Gadsden Creek heads to a new phase in the next month. The latest on I-526, we may get a new price tag. And a controversial practice to harvest horseshoe crabs in South Carolina may have scurried up the coast. Those stories in my interview with Ren CEO Ann Warner, starting now. Developers looking to build on the western side of the peninsula near the Ashley River and conservationists who object to the developers' plans will head to a state courtroom next month, according to the Post and Courier, the latest in the fight over what will happen around Gadsden Creek. The area of what's left near Gadsden Creek, that's uh, kind of near the surface parking lot on the peninsula's west side near the River Dogs Ballpark and the Citadel Stadium, the area has had a rich and controversial history. It's been a working waterfront for the predominantly black communities along the river. Uh, in the 1950s, the city began piling up trash in the area, uh, using it as a landfill and creating a lot of new land in the area, um, which altered tidal creeks, including Gadsden Creek. And urban renewal created the Crosstown Expressway, clearing homes in the area and forcing people out of their communities and dealing another blow to the neighborhood. Now, Developers with the West Edge Complex uh, that plan to expand in the area with high-rise retail, academic, commercial, and residential buildings have run up against uh, opposition from community groups who have stalled the project a bit. The groups object to the environmental plans builders have put forward uh, so far that would change the uh, creek landscape. Supporters of the project say the plans, which would use the creek to help move water into the Ashley River during flooding, would help improve life uh, for residents in the area by eliminating that flooding during high tides and storms. The city of Charleston has also been a partner on the West Edge project uh, from the very beginning under Mayor Riley and generally supports uh, proposals to build in the area and alter the, the creek landscape. Critics say the plans would further impact the black community in the area that's already felt the negative impacts of growth and development over the past century. But the dispute between the groups will meet in State Administrative Law Court on June 6th, where the group, the Friends of Gadsden Creek, will make their case objecting to a permit that would allow the project to move forward. State transportation officials say Charleston County should expect a new calculation for the expected price tag of Interstate 526 after the latest estimates came back around $2.35 billion, uh, way over what the expected cost was. The project to extend I-526 from West Ashley to James Island across Johns Island has been stalled by objections for more than a decade, but there's a new push now with uh, new plans and projections over the past year or so. State Transportation Secretary Christy Hall didn't explicitly say the new price tag could be less, but it seems like that's the general expectation she was hinting at, and that's certainly what they're looking for. Some county leaders have indicated they want to renegotiate terms of the project with the state. Right now, the state's portion of that project is capped at $420 million, well before the latest price increases. And without the state chipping in any more, the county would be on the hook for the remaining piece, uh, about $1.9 billion. It's still unclear, though, if there is political will to push the project forward. 
The DOT chief said the new estimate could be back on her desk in the next four months. A biomedical research company that for years has harvested horseshoe crabs in South Carolina before drawing new scrutiny over the past year has expanded its operations in Massachusetts as approvals for its latest harvest run up against questions in South Carolina. Charles River Laboratories harvests horseshoe crabs uh, along the coast of South Carolina for their unique blue blood that has properties that make it valuable for medical testing, especially equipment testing, testing for contaminants. The company and the State Department of Natural Resources have defended the work in the past, but both have been secretive about the practices, with journalists at the state and elsewhere conducting their own investigations and alleging conflicts of interest between the state and the company. Some, harvest, some harvesting will continue in South Carolina, but lawsuits continue to challenge those permits in court. Now, Charles River Labs says it's diversifying its operations in Massachusetts and proposing uh, harvesting crabs up there for their blood. Ann Warner is the CEO of the Women's Rights and Empowerment Network, just one of the groups advocating for women's rights and gender equity in South Carolina, including on abortion rights. I sat down with Ann last week to discuss the legal and political landscape for Ren's work and a renewed push for abortion rights in the state with the impending decision that could overturn Roe v. Wade. Ann Warner, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Sam. Can you... Uh, quickly introduce yourself and briefly describe the work that Ren does in South Carolina. Yes. Well, my name is Ann Warner. I am proud to be the CEO of Ren, the Women's Rights and Empowerment Network. Ren is a nonprofit, um, nonpartisan organization. We are uh, a South Carolina-based organization. Um, we were created here. Our work focuses on South Carolina. And we are trying to create a state that is more equitable and just for women, gender expansive people and their families. And we work on um, achieving that mission through advocacy, through changing policies, changing systems and um, changing hearts and minds to try and make this a state where everybody can thrive. Uh, we are talking on May 5th, just a few days removed from the news that the Supreme Court is likely to overturn Roe versus Wade. This is not a surprise. This has been something that's kind of been expected with, with the conservative leaning, uh, increasing conservative lean of the court in the past few years. But the federal fight kind of follows the South Carolina fight, which is much further along at chipping away at abortion access in South Carolina. Describe how that fight has gone from your experience over the past 10 years or so in Colombia and kind of its effects statewide? Yes. So reproductive freedom is one of Ren's focus areas. Um, we have been working on expanding reproductive rights um, and defending the rollbacks on our rights that have been relentless over um, the past decade and really beyond. Um, Ever since Roe v. Wade became the law of the land almost 50 years ago, across the country, we have had um, efforts by, by lawmakers and um, organizations to chip away at the um, legally established right to um, an abortion before the point of viability. And here in South Carolina, those efforts have been um, very strong and persistent. Um, we have, for many, many years here in South Carolina, fought 
an, a radical, radical piece of legislation called a personhood bill, which would actually grant constitutional rights to fertilized eggs. So personhood legislation has been introduced in South Carolina for years and years and years and years. And the implications of that kind of legislation are just huge um, because first of all, it would you know, totally outlaw abortion, but would also you know, make it really dangerous for people to be pregnant in South Carolina if their pregnancies could be subject to criminal um, investigation and prosecution by the state. So we've had laws as radical as that and then a whole range of other legislative maneuvers um, that have attempted to chip away at access to abortion, some of which have been successful in passing. So in 2016, there was a 20-week ban that became the law here in South Carolina. And that is, was already um, unconstitutional because 20 weeks is prior to the point of viability. Um, so we have already, you know, gone backwards from what the Supreme Court had established. And since uh, that time, there have been escalated and intensified efforts in the state house to get more of those regressive laws introduced and really um, ushered through the state house with an alarming degree of speed. The most recent one um, that passed completely out of the state house was only a year ago. It's hard to believe that it was just in 2021, but the six-week abortion ban um, passed out of the state house, was signed into law by Governor McMaster, and was immediately blocked by the courts. So South Carolina has already gone really, really far down the road of banning abortion in South Carolina. Um, but the fact that the Supreme Court um, seems poised to completely overturn Roe v. Wade makes those, um, those maneuvers that have so far not succeeded in um, making abortion illegal really in danger of, of being enforced and becoming the law of the land here in our state. We'll come back to that six-week ban in a second. But from a legislative point of view, uh, abortion is just kind of one policy item, right? Uh, are there other ways in in which South Carolina reproductive rights uh, or reproductive policy in general uh, fundamentally disadvantage people across the state? Yes. I mean, South Carolina already has dismal statistics on reproductive health. And one of the most glaring examples of that is our maternal mortality rates, which are among the highest in the country and have gone up. So maternal mortality, you know, it's people dying in pregnancy and childbirth. So we have women who are dying in pregnancy and childbirth, and we have double the rates of Black women dying in pregnancy and childbirth as compared to white women. So we are already in a crisis situation with respect to reproductive health in South Carolina. We have um, a number of counties that, where there is no practicing obstetrician gynecologist. So reproductive health care is already out of reach for a huge portion of our population, particularly people in rural areas. 
and an abortion ban would just decimate the already really terrible reproductive health care access that we have in the state. Touching on the news this week that uh, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization could soon overturn Roe, it could trigger a few things to happen here in South Carolina. What's the situation that we're facing here in South Carolina? You mentioned that six-week ban that's mm-hmm. currently uh, kind of paused as a stay before the court. What could happen if the decision comes down that does ultimately just, you know, assuming that it completely overturns Roe? Yes. So the injunction on the six-week ban um, was um, held by the federal district court. And so that six-week ban, again, has not been enforced. Abortion is still legal in South Carolina. Um, However, one of the the main reasons that, that the courts have ruled in the way that they have thus far is because they have said that these bans are unconstitutional as established by Roe v. Wade and and other court uh, cases that have been heard by the Supreme Court, other opinions they've issued that have upheld the basic premise of Roe. So if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, which seems very likely at this point, then the, the basis for those decisions by those lower level courts is kind of, you know, invalidated. And the state of South Carolina could immediately move to um, instate and enforce that six week ban. So that could happen within, you know, it's hard. The timing is is hard to know for sure at this point, but it could happen um, within days or weeks of the Supreme Court issuing a decision on the Mississippi case. And the governor says that he is not even above calling the legislature back, right? To maybe talk about more restrictive uh, rules that wouldn't get hung up in the courts because Roe is no longer the law of the land, I guess, right? Right. I think it's important to know that um, just this year, the um, Senate was debating a trigger ban and a trigger ban means that as soon as Roe v. Wade um, would be overturned by the Supreme Court, it would automatically trigger a ban on abortion here in South Carolina. And that trigger ban was a personhood bill. So again, one of those outright radical, extreme and total abortion bans. Um, and that was introduced and debated by the Senate and passed out of committee in the Senate. It got stalled uh, uh, in the Senate a couple months ago, but it's possible they could revive that in the last few days of the legislative session. It's possible the governor, yes, could call folks back for a special session. Um, So we are really facing an unprecedented moment of um, extreme threats to abortion access that could be uh, could come through on the legislative side or on the judicial side, and it could be within a matter of weeks. Yeah, and those those trigger bans have passed in other states, as have personhood bills. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, you're right. The the legislature is in session for the next few days. I think up until twelfth. Um, and so, yeah, anything could happen. I guess on that front, who who will this impact the most in South Carolina? I, um, you mentioned that there are some uh, stats that that 
reproductive health in general kind of disproportionately impacts certain groups in South Carolina. Who will, who would, uh, 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 you know, the steps that are taken after Rose overturned impact the most in South Carolina? Well, the people who already lack access to healthcare, who already face the biggest barriers when accessing healthcare, are the people who will be most immediately and severely impacted. So again, those are people living in rural areas, poor people, people of color, people with disabilities, people from marginalized backgrounds um, who already face logistical and financial and really practical um, access barriers. You know, they will just, those will increase exponentially. And what we will have is a situation where pregnancy becomes catastrophically dangerous for those folks, because you'll have people forced into pregnancy who um, are, are not able to carry a pregnancy or who are unwilling because of financial reasons or any other reason that are legitimate to them. We are going to be forcing pregnancy upon them. That makes it so dangerous um, to their their lives, um, to their health, and to their economic and financial security. And I think it's really important to know that that affects children that are already in those households, that are already in the communities across our state. Um, When we force families and people to go through with pregnancy, we're depriving them of the ability to make the best choices that they're capable of making for how to provide for the families that they already have that depend on them. So those financial repercussions of, um, you know, denying people access to care and control over their reproductive lives won't just affect them. It will affect children and future generations in extremely negative ways. Save for, uh, the prospect that the legislature could return and uh, pass some some hasty legislation regarding uh, abortion access in the next few days or weeks, uh, abortion is still legal in South Carolina, like you said. And even with the six week ban, it's still the services are, could still be provided in the state. Uh, and if that if it is if the stay is lifted, how can people get the access they need if if they need it in South Carolina? Um, and how can people help if if they want to help. Yes, I, I really want people to know that even though this is a very scary moment, um, in a moment where people are, are anxious and rightfully so, that um, there are many, many organizations and people, Ren included, that are here to make sure folks get the care that they need. They can get it right now. And when, if and when the legal situation changes, there is a whole network of organizations that are here to help them. Um, I encourage people to go to um, Ren's website. We have a list of resources. Yes, scren.org. For people, um, encourage them to reach out to um, their health providers to Planned Parenthood, um, who will certainly be helping patients navigate the process. There are also several abortion funds Um, that service people in South Carolina that can help overcome those financial and logistical hurdles that people may already be experiencing because abortion is already hard to access here and will only get harder. So um, there are um, a lot of people who are here to help. 
And we want people to know that even though the situation is really scary, that um, we are continuing to fight to make sure that they get the care that they need. And we also need everyone to speak up right now. Um, I think a lot of folks have been uh, living with some kind of false comfort that um, cooler heads will provide in the legislature or that the courts will save us. And we just have abundant evidence right now that neither the General Assembly nor the courts are going to step in and be that last line of defense, that it really is going to be up to people, every single person who's concerned about this, and it should be everybody, um, doesn't matter what your political persuasion is or even your ideological persuasion, everyone needs to be worried about the impact this will have on our state. And they need to speak up. They need to talk to their friends and family. They need to call their elected officials because it, that does matter in the long run. They need to make sure that people that they're um, voting for and the elections um, have the right record on these issues. Um, and they really need to come together and, and be part of a collective voice and a collective movement. And REN is here to, to help provide that infrastructure and support for people so that they don't feel so alone and so isolated at this scary moment in time. Well, Anne, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk to me on Now Charleston. Uh, thanks. Thank you so much, Sam. That's all I've got for you today. If you have feedback for the show, you can leave a voice message at 843-474-1319 or email sam at nowcharleston.com. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. That's a big help. And as always, you can check nowcharleston.com for links and notes from today's show. And to make sure you don't miss anything, Follow Twitter.com slash now Charleston and Instagram.com slash now Charleston. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back on Wednesday with the next now Charleston.